Hi everyone, my name's Stu Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that thinks the sanctioning of Chelsea really is one step beyond. On today's pod, we'll be reacting to yesterday's extraordinary development, as well as of course looking ahead to Monday's trip to Sellers Park. We'll also be focusing our gaze on the title race. What shape are Manchester City in right now? What shape are Liverpool in right now? If they were level on points, who would your money be on? To discuss all this, I've gone strictly A-list today, as I'm joined by Adam. Hi mate, you well? I'm alright, thanks, yeah. Um, I suppose that Chelsea news has thrown us quite yes. off kilter, so... Well, as to as Ali just losing the internet just before we come on air, which kind of ruined my A-list kind of intro. <laughs> I thought, yes. oh, quite, quite impressed with that. A-list, yeah, Adam and Ali, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and um, we are now a man down. We are indeed a man down, but we will persevere. Um, and it seems like Chelsea are down right now. Um, certainly down in the dumps. What do you make of it? I mean, it came out of nowhere. I know people were kind of, you know, those rumours flying around that something like this could happen, but... When it came, it was just a shock. Yeah, I think we kind of knew that the Abramovich sanctions would come at some point and the government have given him enough time or seemingly enough time to try and get his house in order and mm. all the rest of it. And we saw that he was he was kind of looking for a sale and the supporters trust or whatever they were called were, were going to be handed the club, to which they basically said, no, we're not. Um it's just a, it's a bit of a mess, and I suppose because it's one of those things that's never happened. There's no precedent for it, yeah, and there's no way of really guessing what's going to happen next because, the as a, a community asset, as a football club is seen to be, um, especially in the Premier League, they obviously get ignored if they go further down the the leagues. But that's a story for a different day. Um, they're not just going to be left to just die, so. We're not too sure what's going to happen. It's it's a bit weird. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree about it not being left to die, but at the same time, all it takes when it comes to kind of, hello, I think we're joined by Ali. <laughs> hello, I don't know. But, <laughs> uh, we'll, you know. we'll see how long you get on. <laughs> we were just talking about Chelsea, and um, I was just saying that, you know, like, well, Adam made the point that basically Chelsea won't be allowed to kind of rot away and die. But at the same time, when you're talking about top six clubs, it only takes a couple of, you know, a, a couple of losses of players here and there, um, and they could be in trouble. Um, what have you made of it, Ali? Uh, I honestly cannot even begin to make sense of, of what's happening and what's going to happen next. <laughs> The, um, that was my dog wolfing and I just for, the, for everything else going on today my dog didn't stay <laughs> causing mischief um, uh, what have I made of Chelsea I wish I could offer any kind of coherent and sensible explanation of or, or prognosis for what will happen next none of it make, makes much sense um, it doesn't make much sense from a, a boycott and sanctions point of view right um, in, in, so, I, I know it sounds contradictory but kind of in what way does it not make sense um, well, it makes absolute perfect sense to freeze Abramovich's assets mm. um, and to not let him take any money out, put any money in, basically to, to feel like a, a pariah within global corporate business and all the rest of it. Um, things like not allowing Chelsea to sell any tickets. Um, the the I can't understand why there's not a way of... Uh, ring fencing 
the business so that no money can go in and out of Russia. Um, and the, the wealth of the business doesn't, uh, doesn't increase or, or isn't helped by, uh, by events. Mm. Um, but it all seems to be a bit cobbled together. Um, and how it actually plays out. I, I can also understand why it's been cobbled together because, because there, there is no rule book for this stuff. You know, nobody has ever worked out the, the ways of getting this to, to be an effective sanction and a, a, um, a, a worthwhile, you know, uh, means of political engagement. You know, there, there is no rule book for this stuff. So people are making that up as they go along. Um, and then what the long-term implications of that are and how it will play out in weeks and months to come. Um, I really don't know. My best guess is uh, it will kind of... Chelsea will end up kind of wading through treacle for a long time where they can't really do anything. They can't grow. They won't go anywhere. They won't get <laughs> get any smaller. Um, no one will be able to buy them. Uh, no one will want to sell them. And it will probably just get really... Sticky and and uh, and kind of static for a long time to come, and I don't see any way out of it. That's a, that's the key thing. I mean, assuming yeah. that, that Putin doesn't get ousted in, in the next few weeks, and and the the war in Ukraine immediately comes to a nice, you know, peaceful end, uh, none of that looks very likely at the moment. So I don't know what the end game is, and I don't know what how how Chelsea as a business and a club and an institution and a fan base and all the rest of it are meant to survive through this. I don't know what's expected of them. Um, and I don't think anyone else does either. So yeah, yeah. it's just hot stinking mess, I think. <laughs> it absolutely is. And you mentioned the fan base there. Um Adam, how do you have you viewed them singing Abramovich's name last night? I mean personally and I know I'm gonna be very much in a minority here. Um I sympathise to a degree as in, I should imagine if the same applied with City and our owners, there would be some elements of our support who'd sing the Sheikh Mansur's name. So, how how did you take take that? I think it, even just from a, a an outsider looking in, it's just, I think it's just brain dead. Um, I think if you look at the, um, I hate using the term sports washing, which is mm. why when I tweeted it last night, I put it in the the uh, air quotations, but. This is exactly what people are talking about. Yeah. When when they say it, you're just playing into the hands of of any narrative around it. And you even see the the news outlets interviewing fans outside the ground and they're saying, Oh, well he's not done anything wrong. Well, you strip it back and he has. Yeah. It's like he, he has and, and they've paid for it. And you only have to look at our owners. They're not they're not very good people. People who are on our club, they from a moral point of view and um what goes on in in their country isn't great. And if, if things did happen and they had been involved and they'd been putting money in and been seen to be, be part of this regime, then it, it's not a good thing. And I think the difference is Chelsea's fans are extremely tribal to yeah. a sense that is often ends in very bad things happening. Yes. Um, <laughs> to put it lightly, and I don't really want to go into all of that, yeah. but it doesn't surprise me. Um, these were the same fans who were chanting his name whilst there was a minute of pause for the Ukraine well, that uh, was a, emergency yeah, yeah. fund yeah. thing last week. And it just from an, a, a viewpoint of what are you doing? Like, what do you think that's going to achieve? You, you can back your owner, but at the same time, it just doesn't look good, does it? Um, not that fans often think about that, but 
No, I don't really like it, to be honest. And do I have any sympathy for the fans full stop? Kind of. At the same time, Chelsea fans have won, have seen their club win absolutely everything there is to win in club football. Mm. Under Abramovich, they've had the best time as, as they could ever have as a Chelsea fan, whatever they thought of their owners, and they will probably never have it better. So I don't have too much sympathy in, in the regards to it. It was never going to last forever. Um, and even over the last three months, you can see that things were, were coming to a head. So... And it, and do you know what? It might not be the worst thing that's ever happened to the club. If it goes the way of um, the government kind of take ownership of it and find a new owner that is deemed acceptable and that Chelsea have some sort of fan um, representation on the board, it's not going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to the club. If you're a fan who comes from the, the ideology of you want some sort of fan representation on the board, it, it's not the worst thing. So... I don't have any sympathy for the the away fans who just make themselves look like clowns, to be honest. But yeah, um, I do have some sympathy in the fact that it's it's not going to be great for the people's mindsets and everything else at at, the, at a time where people have been suffering in other ways. So you you don't know what state your club's going to be in. But I'll go back to what I said right at the start of the podcast. Chelsea aren't just going to burn out and die because of this. The the two big um, a power within football. Uh, they're too big at a club. They're worth too much. They're, there's too much at stake for for the government to just let them rot. So they shouldn't be too worried, I don't think. It just might be that they're not going to win the Champions League next season or they're not going to win the World Club Cup, <laughs> World Cup thing, whatever it is. It's, it, yeah. I mean, if you look at a club like Derby or if you go back to a club like Berry, who literally were left to rot and die. Yes, yeah. Uh, things could be a lot worse. So, okay. I mean, when I, when I said use the word sympathy, it was the wrong word to use. Really, oh, I yeah. kind of meant empathy. I guess where yeah, yeah. You, you're putting yourself in that situation because, of course, you can't use like for like as it comes to kind of club owners. But you know, it's from our owners that we've experienced such amazing times, and it's from Abramovich at Chelsea. Fans have enjoyed such amazing times, and um, yeah. And if it was taken away. How would we respond as a fan base? And kind of on that note, really, there are a few people knocking around, predictably so, actually, saying that, you know, City could be next or Newcastle could be next. And you put a really interesting tweet up uh, yesterday, Ali, um, saying about kind of how the Saudis, um, they're safe, essentially, because our government and our major corporations are elbows deep with them, um, selling them, you know, the very weapons they use to wage their wars. Um, would you like to expand on that kind of... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> how would you how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, the, this is the way I see the entire business of football ownership. Um, Premier League clubs and uh, Champions League clubs across Europe are overwhelmingly owned by a, a range of billionaires from around the world, um, pretty much all of whom have got their fingers in some extremely unpleasant pies. Yes. <laughs> Whether you are talking about, uh, I mean, uh, example I, I love to go to, um, pretty much everyone in football has been loving Wolves over the last five years or so. Uh, since he came back up in Premier League, um, playing 
fluent, beautiful football, got a lot of like young Portuguese starlets and, and you know, a succession of charismatic managers and, and everybody wanting them to do well and get into Europe and ideally, you know, keep United or keep City or whoever it might be out of the top four. Um, Wolves have been able to do this because they've been bankrolled by one of the largest conglomerates in China, closest one of the closest companies to the Chinese government that is waging genocide in in against the Uyghur people um, and is doing everything else that the Chinese government is involved in. And when people talk about state ownership of football clubs, it's really easy to look at Gulf monarchies, where the distinction between you know, individual uh, billionaires and a state government um, is really blurry. And, and uh, you know, that, that I, I've said before, um, I think it's not really accurate to say that Manchester City is owned by the state of Abu Dhabi or the UAE. It is accurate to say that the owners of Manchester City are so blooming rich they own an entire country as well. Um, that that's a better way to think about it. Uh, so you know the, the distinction between state and uh, you know monarchical ruler individual um, is much less uh, or is, is very uh, difficult to to untangle in absolute monarchies like the UAE. Um, there's a, an entirely different, but no more healthy position in China, in many parts of old Eastern Europe. Um, look at the, uh, the communications and media conglomerates from places like Serbia that are now buying their ways into the Premier League. Um, and of course, I, I keep coming back to that. Look at the, the US billionaire conglomerates, um, many of whom have got very close links to Donald Trump and who are currently bankrolling people that are, are, rolling back LGBT rights across the USA. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people like the Glazers are absolutely up to their neck in some really horrible politics. But because they're uh, English-speaking and, and white-faced mostly um, and kind of from part of our culture, we don't really think of them as being as being oligarchs and we don't think of them as being, uh, you know, equivalent to state-owned entities. Um, and yet all these distinctions are far more blurred than anyone likes to pretend. So when people say, <clears throat> why is it that um, Roman Abramovich is being sanctioned and, and basically kicked out of the game in, in England and the Saudi owners of Newcastle or the <clears throat> Abu Dhabi owners of, of uh, Manchester City are not being touched in the same way? It's because there is a, a global and, and universal program of boycotts and sanctions against Russia in direct response to the invasion of Ukraine, yeah. quite rightly in my view. Um, and Roman Abramovich has, caught, has been caught up in that. No one just turned out, turned around and spontaneously decided that um, you know, billionaire oligarchs money is bad in football. That's not what happened. Um, and if it hadn't been for the invasion of Ukraine, uh, you know, Roman Abramovich would have been continuing to go on owning uh uh, owning Chelsea and no one would have batted an eyelid for however many years it took. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, um, Premier League football is at the cutting edge of a gazillion dollar global entertainment franchise, which is uh, modern professional football. Um, the Clubs themselves, uh, almost without exception, are both owned by and sponsored by and used as a vehicle for the uh, generation of money by a whole swathe of some of the worst people in the world. Um, and there's something, I think, deeply suspect 
when individuals pick out uh, the Arab owners of Newcastle, yeah. or for that matter, Manchester City, and say these people are uniquely evil. Um, but for example, the Fulton Corporation in China are are they're they're okay. Well, no, they're not. Either either we engage with the the entire business of football and the ownership of football clubs. Um, and I mean, I, I uh, have probably not in this pod, but I, I've said publicly elsewhere, I actively campaigned over two general elections to elect a party that in its manifesto promised to, to uh, review the rules for the ownership of football clubs um, and look at uh, something like the German system where all clubs have to be 50 plus 1% uh, owned by owned by fans or uh, or by non profit making trusts or whatever the final model might be, I fully support that, and I fully support that in knowledge that if it ever came about, Manchester City would be hit more badly than almost anyone by it. But it would be the right thing for football. It would be the right thing for game for the game. And if we ended up losing large parts of our power and a significant part of our success as a consequence of that, I would happily take that in the chin. That's where I stand on, on all of this as a football fan and politically. Um, what I can't be doing is the people who say, basically, um, the billionaires who own your global corporate football entertainment franchise <laughs> are really bad, evil people, but the billionaires who own our uh, global entertainment football franchise are, are lovely, fluffy, nice people. Uh, and we like these owners. We don't like those owners. And what all of this is about is football fans across the game really, really like it when owners come in and uh, bankroll the football at their own football club. And they really hate it when owners come in at anyone else's club and bankroll the football at their club. Um, and if we were honest about it, that's what 99% of this debate is all about. Um, People want uh, the people want the cherries, but they don't want the pips. Um, and you, I'm sorry, but you have to take the whole fruit, or, or you know, don't play the game. Okay. Well, is there anything else to discuss on Chelsea? Because really, we're in a kind of unknown. I, th- I think it was you, Ali, who said at the top. You know, we don't know where this is going to go because we've never encountered it before. So, really, beyond this point, it is just guesswork. Um, I do predict that Chelsea will probably have a siege mentality within the club, from the team to the manager to the fans. And I think that'll probably help them from now to the end of the season. But then in the summer, I mean, there's potential there for, for kind of calamity, really. Um, if, if players start angling to move and you know agents behind the scenes do likewise, etc., etc., then they could be in big trouble. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Let's move our attention to Crystal Palace Monday night. Um, Adam, the lineup prediction should be fairly straightforward, um, given that it's Pep Guardiola and nothing is ever straightforward. But Diaz is out, Palmer is out, Ake is a doubt. Um, we've got a pretty sparse March schedule coming up. Um, do you do you anticipate him going basically very strong here, playing the strongest eleven? Yeah, this is. Um, the game that a few of us earmarked a while ago that you basically you get through that raft of fixtures that we've just had um, and most most notably of those Everton away United at home Palace away then as you say we don't have a Premier League game until the 2nd of April if we can go into the 2nd of April still with the lead that we've got then we're in a hell of a position uh, before that Liverpool game Um, this one being a really, really big game. Palace away, it's it's one of those that you look at from afar and 
it gives you a little bit of a worry. For, yeah. Almost for no reason whatsoever. You just look at it and you think, oh, it it doesn't sit well with me that. And you totally forget that we're 36 points ahead of them in the table. <laughs> but they are always quite a, a tricky team for us. Um, however, I still have that weird thing that I still feel that City are better away from home in these tougher, tighter games than we would be at home. Um, I imagine Pep will go with the strongest possible eleven, and I would go further than that and say I imagine it'd be the same team that started at home against United. Right. Um, albeit, I have seen some things that Cancelo is a bit touch and go, um, but I mean Zinchenko would be an adequate replacement, albeit we would lose that attacking threat that we have down the left. I think it would be full strength. This is that game that you win, you get out of there, and then attention will turn to the FA Cup. So I, I think Palace have been very good. Uh, very, very impressed with, with what they've done and with what Vieira's done with the team that he's built, considering the absolute rubble that he walked into. Um, yeah, I, I think they've been they've been batting well above where people thought they might be. And Vieira is impressed to the point of you've got some very silly people in the press saying that they should bring him in um, to the Arsenal, Arsenal job yes. yeah, and get and get rid of Arteta, who's got them in fourth place with two games in hand, a lot of nonsense. But, um, was that Collymore? Uh, it was Collymore when I said that. I, well, in that case, I take back journalist. Though. Um, <laughs> journalist, journalist. Journalist, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be tough, isn't it? It's going to be a horrible Monday night under the lights, all the Palace fans in the black hoodies in the corner singing their own strange songs. Yeah, it's going to be tough. But, to be fair, we uh, did we did nick one of their songs. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, glad all over. And, I mean, and, that does blow yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that aside. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ali, what have you made of Palace under Vieira? Because like Adam, I've been really impressed. The thing that stood out for me, though, is they've only lost three times in 2022, but all three times have been at home to a top six side. So that bodes well. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with Adam on this. I'm feeling a bit nervy about it. I'm anticipating this to be a really tough one. I, I particularly feel that because I did one of these Friday show pods before we played them last time around. Right. <laughs> when, when we confidently predicted that, oh, we've got all these like butterflies in our song for playing Palace. But, but if you look at the figures, you know, we've, we've beaten them 13 in the last thing. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and look how that turned out. So yeah, so um, I, I I remember saying whatever the uh, whatever the numbers and the stats might say, I'd never feel comfortable about going to play Palace. Yeah, um, I'm I'm too scarred by uh, previous occasions in the past. And I mean, there's a bit of me thinks that you know it's bad enough that uh, Tottenham do the double over us like in in a season. We can't have Palace do the double over us as well. That just cannot happen. Yeah. So, um, so the, <laughs> there's a bit of a kind of structure to the universe says that we have to win on, on Monday and we'll probably do so quite comfortably. Um, but but Palace have been really impressive under Vieira. There's, there's no getting away from it. They have drawn an awful lot of games that they could have won. And I think they, they could be you know up there properly competing for European places um, if they'd had a bit more bite to them, if they'd, if they'd had a... Yeah. Uh, and, and look, I've got to say, there's been some late goals they conceded. And, yeah. yeah they do loads seem to be of late goals. Yeah. Um, there's something, there's a little bit of a soft centre to them, maybe, that, that uh, kind of is a little bit of a surprise with Vieira 
behind at all because uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't associate associate that with him personally at all. Um, but no, I mean I think Palace have been a, a, almost the the. Uh, epitome of a mid-table team this year. They've had some really good results, a few really disappointing ones. They've never been in trouble. They've never really looked like uh, troubling the, the European places either. Um, they're a, an absolutely solid mid-table team, which kind of they've been for years, really. Um, I think they have got a bit more rounded. They, they look a more coherent side to me uh, than they did in the latter years under Hodgson. Um, they're less dependent on Zaha than they used to be. Yes. Um, Gallagher's form has been a revelation, I think, this year. He's been really impressive. Uh, and they've got a lot of good players throughout the team. Uh, so it's a, it's a test for us. Um, I, I agree with Adam that we kind of, we seem to be more comfortable away from home uh, with teams that have got a crowd behind them yelling them on against us than we are when, when they're backing up at, uh, against us at the Etihad. So it should, we, you know, we should be fine. All, all logic says we should be fine. Um, and, you know, give or take a, a few bumps along the way, we're, we're in pretty good shape at the moment. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a good game. Adam, how do you see it playing out kind of in terms of the ebb and flow of the game and, and, and what would be your score prediction? Uh, I think they'll keep it as tight as they can and they'll play Elise as a Zaha um up there and they'll just try and do us on the break a bit like they did at home um and i I think like ali was saying there about um the team and gallagher and their um signings and their their transfer deals were superb in summer they brought gay in the center half who uh is probably eyeing up an england call up at some point now such has been the way that he's played uh england are now battling to make sure that elise um, stays within the the realms of being able to be called up for England. Eze has been brilliant after he, after his injury. Gallagher, I mean, he goes back to Chelsea and starts for them, doesn't he? Um, and then they brought in Edward from from Scotland, so they they've done very well. But I imagine it will be like most of our away games where they sit deep, they defend, um, try and keep us out for as long as possible, then try and nick it. But I think if we play with any sort of the same tempo as we we have done um or, or we did last weekend at home um and if we can see Grealish and Bernardo and Foden playing like they did then it any team will do well to keep them out so it's for me it's a nick it and get out of there as quickly as possible <laughs> yeah, I'll take that yeah I, I I'm I'm going to one city score prediction yeah. Ali uh, ooh, yeah, I'll go 3 1. Okay, well, let's kind of move our attention now to the title race, um, which obviously a tight win at Sellers Park will give us a further advantage in. Um, but before we kind of get into the kind of the hub of kind of, you know, the points tallies and the rest of it, just generally speaking, I'll start with you, Ali, and I, and I want both to kind of answer this really. Who's in a be- admittedly we're talking fine margins here, but who's in the best shape out of Liverpool and City right now for you? Very little in it, but uh, I would rather be in City position three points. Well, assuming it's three points, not six. Uh, I'd rather be three points ahead than three points behind. It's as simple as that. Mm. Um, I, I, again, I was on one of these pods a little while ago, and I said for me the title race doesn't come down to City so much. I, I assumed that we would drop a few points here and there. And we will finish with something like 92, 93, 94 points at the end of the day. Um, I'm standing by that. Uh, what has 
I will admit caught me uh, by surprise a little bit is just how consistent and and uh, effective Liverpool have been uh, keeping track with us. Um, when we were having these conversations back in about January, I was very much of the opinion that Liverpool would drop more points than we would. Yeah. Um, since then, they've closed the gap on us and, and fair play to them. Uh, and what I would say is that um, if we don't win the title, it will be because Liverpool have won something like 15 games in a row or, or whatever to get to the line. Uh, I've got the feeling of what would be 2018-19 all over again that year. Um, I think it is going all the way now. Obviously, the game on uh, April 9th, 10th, whenever we play them, is absolutely massive. And, and uh, if we take the three points from that, it will you know, create an almost insurmountable gap. Uh, and if you know, if they were to beat us, then then I would imagine the momentum would be with them and they would probably be slightly favourites. Uh, until we get to that game, it's really just about can both teams keep churning out three points week after week after week. Um, and being completely straight and, and uh, straightforward about it, if Liverpool get to the end of the season um, having turned out three points in every game they've got between now and then, they will win the title and they will deserve to, but I still don't think they will. Um, I think it's slightly more likely that we will win slightly more points than they do. Um, and the fact that we only really need a point from them at the Etihad to, mm, to that's a gap yeah. is, is key. Um, plus the fact they have got a bit of a, a uh, tougher running than we do. Although I'm always a bit of a skeptic about predicting Easy and difficult games at the end of the season, um, because the the, uh, the easiest illustration of this is probably the easiest game you can have towards the end of the season is to play a team like Burnley when they are uh, seven points clear of the drop with six points to play for. Um, the worst game to have at this time of year is a team like Burnley when they are five yeah. points clear of the drop with six points to play for. Um, so you don't, you never quite know whether a team is going to be playing out of their skins for their lives in Premier League or whether they're going to have their feet up with a pipe and slippers. Um, so who knows how the how the fixtures will turn out in the end. But looking at it now, you would say, um, first of all, City have got the edge in, on the table. Um, they've got a slightly easier run-in. They've got one game fewer to play. Uh, yeah, the, the, we are in the driving seat and it's up to us to, to keep ourselves there. Um, but uh, and I, I, I will... I'll, I'll say it again, um, absolute fair play, respect and kudos to Liverpool for, for taking it as far as they've taken it already. Um, and if they continue to take it to the wire, then uh, yeah, full respect to them for that as well. Cause it's a hell of an achievement to, to turn out the kind of points total that both of these teams are looking at. Um, Adam, if both teams played each other right now or tomorrow on, on a neutral venue, for both full strength, is there any weaknesses in either team? No, we we had a. I've got a running joke with a a mate who's a Liverpool fan. Um, just in just place, just let Liverpool and City play each other twenty times. Yeah. Um, and I genuinely think both teams will. Uh, one team might win one more game than the other. Um, I think Liverpool have been in much better shape. Um, however, that Derby win, had we won that game one nil, I'd. St- probably say Liverpool are in better shape the way that they won that game in the second half will give this team a massive lift yeah um to be able to to take the piss 
Like it was, we had ninety two percent possession in a half of football <laughs> at home to a right. Yeah, United aren't very good at the moment, but to to win a game in that fashion against anyone is going to give you a lift. Never mind against a team that we've struggled at home against. So I, I think Liverpool have been in outrageous form. Like Ali said, the way that they're winning games and winning every game um, is ridiculously impressive. And if they do win every game, they deserve it. I think the important thing here is we have to beat Palace. We go into that Liverpool game. So we've got Palace and Burnley, I think, haven't we? Um, before that, we've got to win both of those. We've got to go into that Liverpool game knowing that a draw would be enough to keep that three points. Mm. And then if we keep the three points, there's a couple of very tricky fixtures. And there's the Wolves game stands out to me as one that reminds me a little bit of that Burnley game. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh God, where... I don't want that again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I totally agree with Ali. That is the way that this season's shaping up. It's eighteen, nineteen, all over again. Yeah. Whoever whoever drops the first lot of points will probably lose it. So it's going to be horrific to watch. It's not going to be pretty at times, but we just need to get to the Liverpool game with the points in hand, knowing that a draw is enough and a win should should knock them out of it. Um, although I still don't know if that's going to be the case, <laughs> which is even more terrifying. And looking at the fixtures, you still can't really split it. The big thing that's going to come in now is who each team are going to draw in the Champions League, draw each other and, oh my God, who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> um, honestly, that that's going to be chaos. The one thing that plays in our favour, Liverpool have got to play Arsenal away. They've got to play United, Spurs, and I know that Everton are bad, but they've still got to play Everton at home. Yeah, yeah. They've got yeah. a few tough fixtures there, um, and the rest of the fixtures aren't too dissimilar to ours. So it's tough. They've been excellent. Uh, they've brought in Luis Diaz, um, who I, I saw him and thought, we, we played against him, I remember him being a little bit tricky, but he's been ridiculous. The way that they bring in players or or Klopp has seemed to do it, and it just works, is scary. You look at uh, Jota and now Diaz, they just yeah. sit in and make them a better team. Straight away as well. I'll yeah. talk to it, yeah. Crazy, crazy. They're, they're basically, they're, they're not relying on that front three who brought them so much success. They know that they can drop one of them out and bring in someone who's just as good, probably apart from Salah, who is totally replaceable there. Um, and that's going to be tricky. We don't have a front three that is um, going to turn out week in, week out. What we do have is we have different options of how we play with a front three. Their front three is always going to be this very heavy, direct, tricky, um, pacey attack. Ours is very much different to that now. Um, yeah, I'm not at the nervous stage yet, but it's coming. It's, it's coming. That game... <laughs> That game in April is going to be huge. Um, and we've not had a game like that, I don't think, since probably, I mean, I don't want to say, but... Chelsea, looking, yeah, a season. Chelsea, maybe, but I, I wouldn't even say that. I, I mean, in the Premier League, I don't think we've had a game that big, that big in terms of who we're playing since United in 2012. Right. Well, well, the Liverpool game, the corresponding game in in two thousand nineteen, 
Um, it, it wasn't as late though, was it? No, no, but it was so nervy. And I remember that's just... what I mean. It, it's with it being so late, you're in April. It's do not lose this game of football. Yeah, no, I get that. I do get it, yeah. But the circumstances back then were, you know, we, we had to get those three points, otherwise we would be yeah. too far adrift. I mean, this would be the same circumstance that Liverpool will find themselves in. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy that there's two teams doing this season in, season out. It's ridiculous. I hate the way that it's been portrayed as a negative. And, and although Liverpool get nothing but love from the press, I will include Liverpool in that regard as terms of their dominance and their points accruement because it keeps getting portrayed as, oh, yeah, Liverpool and City now are too good as, you know, far too good for the rest and that they're averaging, you know, 95 points a season and all the rest of it. Well, this is a, an amazing duopoly. This is one for the ages. This is United Arsenal back in the day. And how many kind of documentaries have been made about that, programmes made about that? And they, they were celebrated. And for some reason, the City of Liverpool duopoly has not kind of caught fire, I, th- I think. I think it will be in hindsight. I think you'll look back so. at some of these. Yeah. Um, you'll look back at eighteen, nineteen, and probably this season, it'd be like, how on earth have two teams got more than 90 points in a season and one of them hasn't won the league. It's ridiculous. I mean, the eighteen nineteen title race is just... It's staggering, it's isn't it? Liverpool lost once all season. <laughs> it's something that will never, ever be repeated. Yeah. Like, it, it was... Those last 14 games, both teams just kept winning. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you'll... I don't think that'll ever, ever, ever be done again. What was it? 98 and 97 points. Yeah. But I mean, if it does go to the wire, and I agree, I think it's heading that way. Um, yeah, of course it is. Ali, make me feel better here because I'm, I'm just feeling jittery just at the thought of it. So <laughs> in, in terms of the mentality, um, of course, they're called the mentality monsters. What a load of tosh yeah. that is. But at the same time, you know, they're hardly weak-willed, they're hardly lily-livered, are they? So... When it comes to the crunch and we're coming to five games to go, let's say, and you know, there's, there's just nip and tuck in it, then I think we've got enough to get over that line, haven't we, in terms of mentality. We've been there before, we've seen it before, we know how to do game management better than anyone, I would say. W- would you go along with that? Definitely, and I think we are better now at that side of things than we were in 1819 or, yes. or even yeah. last year. Um, I think uh, City are now a more rounded team. There was a, there was a really good bit of analysis that something I hadn't really thought of much the other day on, uh, I think it was the BT Sport coverage of the uh, sporting game the other night. Uh, they did a little bit about uh, City's attacking set-piece play. Uh, corners. Um, I remember... Last as recently as last year, uh, on you know on these pods and, and chatting to to city fans, talked about how rubbish we were basically at taking corners. We never scored from corners, yeah. um, and now we do. You know, we something like five or ten goals a season, probably difference, which is you know, a huge, uh, you know, a huge addition at the end of the uh, at the end of the equation. So there. <clears throat> our defence, I think, is better than it was before, and we've got much more experience. And, and you know, players like uh, De Bruyne, even Phil Foden. Uh, Phil Foden's a kid; he's still what, 21, 22 years old. Um, he has been there, seen it all, done it all by now. Uh, <clears throat> very little will face these guys, and I just kind of feel like they uh, they have a bit of a swagger, um, not overconfidence, but just. Uh, a self-assuredness 
yeah. that we are good enough to do this. And I think that will stay with them, however tight it gets. Um, and, <clears throat> yeah, Liverpool have got a slightly different psychology going on. Uh, and it is, you know, we, we keep saying here, it's really impressive and it, it stands them in good stead. Um, but I think any neutral observer, and I appreciate we're anything but neutral, but I think probably most neutral observers would look at the two squads, the two teams, and think that City have just got the edge. It's only just the edge, but we have got the edge. Um, not least in in terms of having the points on the board, which I, yeah, I keep coming back to. Is, is That's the, crucial, the absolutely. It's everything. I mean, when you talk about teams such as this, I mean, uh, as they are, these two, you, you look at it, three points, four points. There's something else I'd add as well that, that I'm actually really quite happy about. Um, when you look at the Liverpool squad this year, there is absolutely no way anyone in the media or on social media or anywhere else can look at the squads and say, well, Liverpool just haven't got a, a depth and, and quality of squad to compete with City. Yeah, yeah. There. yeah. Uh, that is blatantly untrue. Not only do uh, Liverpool have a squad that larger and you know it costs about as much to assemble as ours did um it's on a par with united and with chelsea not notwithstanding the, the bigger issues there now um but it's just uh all of all of the top four uh or you know the, the teams that you like they should the, the big four in the premier league all have got you know um, big, deep, expensive squads and cities, uh, you know, cities' achievements, cities' accomplishments this season are not about uh, having spent more money on our squad than anyone else. And, and you would have to be really quite partisan and know very little about football to make, to make that argument, which of course doesn't mean that lots of people won't make the argument because they will, but it will be nonsense. Yeah. Well, what about yourself, Adam, as regards to something we can kind of look forward to? I th- um, think so- it. I haven't thought about it. I think uh, Liverpool have got more like obvious leaders. And by that, they've got Van Dijk, who is a like a almost a company kind of character. They, they look to him. He's their rock. Everything comes from him. I don't think we've got that. I know that we've got Diaz, who I, I just think he's a little bit young for that yet. Um, they've got that. And they've got in Salah, one of if not at the moment, the best player in the world, um, the most reliable goal scorer in the Premier League. However, I just trust City's team and City's squad. I trust Pep to get them over the line in a in a title race because we've done it time and time again. Um, I like the, the bond that the team seem to have and I like the, the kind of mixture of characters that are in there. Mm. I've even been impressed with... you if you've read like Walker and Stones have done interviews recently about how they don't really feel the pressure within the squad because they trust each other to get it done. Um, and you, you've seen that in games this season, Chelsea away, I think even Liverpool away to a, to an extent, they just always seem to find a way. Um, I just trust us. I, and that is almost with blind faith. I think, um, I think some of the players are becoming leaders as well. Uh, and that's that's a, a massive thing for us. Rodri this season, Bernardo this season are, are becoming kind of key points to the team that you, you look at every week. And you've got in De Bruyne, someone who, when a big game comes about and he needs to be the man, he will be the man. You see in that United game, he, you could see from the first five minutes, he, he the way that he's just moving about, he's picked up the game and he said, it's mine today. And having someone like that who can drag us 
and he's done it before in big games, Chelsea away usually. We've got that and I just trust that. And and I also uh, want to throw this out into the ether that I feel like Jack Grealish is going to have a part to play at the end of the season. Oh, yes, um, I hope so. I can f- you can just see sense it coming. Um, I thought he was excellent last weekend and I, yeah. I've just got a feeling that there's going to be a moment and it might just be his moment. Uh, and I hope it is as well because it'd be fantastic. So, can I can I throw in one other cause for optimism? Yeah. As well, about uh, the the team that we've got at the moment. Oh, hang on. Um, no, I won't. I've completely lost my thought. Was I? I sorry. I, I, I'm 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 I'm, not, I'm having a nightmare of a show today. Guys. <laughs> you know what? I can't I even guess what that might be. I, I know. I, I let's let's end it there. I, it could be a more perfect ending. <laughs> That this has been weird. a ramshackle podcast, and I <laughs> loved it. <laughs> oh, I mean, before someone sent me a, a work text, and I looked at it, and then one of you was talking, then the other guy was talking. I was like, "Where are I? I lost. I completely lost the thread of the whole conversation." <laughs> and, and I'm hosting, so oh my god, yes, we pulled so, it off, don't we? We pulled it off, yeah. Let, yeah, I, I don't think anyone noticed. <laughs> Just be aware, there, there is another cause for optimism. If anyone like, hasn't got enough causes for optimism over the next nine, ten weeks, um, bear in mind there, there's at least one more that we haven't mentioned yet. Yes, it's important one as well. It's, yes, yes. <laughs> and we, we will bring it up in a show in the near future. <laughs> yes. Oh, so stay tuned. Well... For such Can a rap shuffle pod, I've enjoyed the, it. Uh, the, the Friday show is the one that our listeners get for free, isn't it? It is, indeed. Yeah, and it's it's the one that... Checking they're getting their money for. It's the one by, by some distance for most people <laughs> listen to as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. Okay, wow. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us today, Ali. I've really enjoyed that, mate. Uh, instead of offering thanks, I'll offer apologies. But there we go. We, we got through it. <laughs> we did get through it. Adam, thank you so much. You, no. Steadying influence, I would describe you as today. No, so. uh, that, that was fun. <laughs> and thanks, everyone, for listening in. That's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to see if a certain independently-minded newspaper has been sanctioned yet. In the meantime, take care, everyone. Be well. And forever up, the brilliant blues. <laughs>